0: Hello again, this is Keith Parsons with Heavy Wireless Podcast, part of the Packet Pushers podcasting network. Today we're talking about 3D printing, and one of the questions we've heard a lot, both at WLPC and just in general, is why why is there so much 3D printing in Wi-Fi? To help with this today, I've brought on uh, two really good 3D printer people who've been involved both in wireless and 3D printing, Joel Crane and Robert Boardman. Joel, can you uh, introduce yourself and... Tell us about you and where are you working? What are you doing now?
1: Yeah, so my name's Joel and uh, I work for a company out of Finland called Hamina Wireless. We make like a network mapping and planning tool specifically for Wi-Fi and some other technologies as well. Yeah, excited to be on the podcast today.
2: Robert? Yeah, hi, my name is Robert. I'm a senior systems engineer for Juniper Mist uh, covering the Europe area and primarily in wireless.
0: Great. Well, great to have you both on today. The first question and since I already know the answer, that's why you ask these kind of questions, is how did you start in 3D printing? And we'll start with Rob.
2: I got started many, many, many years ago. I was working as a network admin in, um, in a college and I was doing some work and I ended up having to go to an arts lab and they, had, um, they needed some extra wireless por- or wired ports and they had a, a lab, basically, I had a CNC, had a laser cutter and 3D printing. And from there it just kind of, you can start making things from nothing. And it just kind of blew up from there for me. Joel?
1: And I got started in 3D printing back in about 2012 or so before I was even involved in Wi-Fi. We started a local hackerspace slash makerspace, which is like a community place. You could come and build things. And 3D printing was absolutely brand new at the time. Uh, And at, at one point, we knew of basically every 3D printer in our metropolitan area. We knew exactly who had what printers. There were just so few of them. And it was just a really exciting technology, and I thought it looked really neat, so that's how I got started in it.
0: And you were were so far back, used to use a 3D printer to print a 3D printer?
1: Yeah, yeah. Back then, the movement was called RepRap, which stood for uh, rapid prototyping, self-replicating, some mixture of those words. I don't remember. It's been long enough ago now. But yeah, basically, every single 3D printer, there were no commercial 3D printers back then, If you wanted a printer, you had to buy parts from someone else with a 3D printer. So we actually talked about doing like a family tree at our hackerspace, showing whose printer had printed whose printer. And for a while, we could have fit that on one wall really, really easily. And then... And then uh, I ended up building my own. So I traded a six pack of beer for, uh, for a set of printed parts. I wanted to build a printer bot, which was a, a brand new printer that kind of focused on minimalism. It was very few printed parts. It was designed to be as few parts as possible. So yeah, I traded a six packs, a pack of beer with a friend of mine who had a printer. He had a, uh, a Prusa Mendel i3 or i2. He has a Prusa Mendel i2. So going way, way back, and he printed those parts for me, and I scrounged together everything that I needed to build the printer, and that, that's, uh, that's where my first printer came from.
2: How about yours, Rob? Uh, my first started in uh, MakerBot, so I went a little different because I was in um, the education space at the time. And so MakerBot was attempting to move, at that point in time, past make a business of it, really. They're really kind of the first, outside of PrinterBot was the community side of it. MakerBot wanted to hit the education and the uh, corporate market where less print it to build, to make it, to use it, and more here is a printer. They tried to start a Control-P, basically, um, which turned out that wasn't the way. Printing is not that way. (laughs) Um, And so you ended up doing a lot of the whole rep-rap stuff to get that printer to work because they shipped a product that they threw together very very fast. They took a bunch of other people's ideas, threw it in, and said, "Look, we're now selling 3D printers." You get it. You have to upgrade it and print parts for it. Hope to goodness it worked just enough to print the parts to get it to work better to where you can print better parts. So it it was it was an evolution of printing. That 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 was my first one.
0: If anyone's listening and they're going, I don't know if I want to go through all that. That's a that's a lot of pain. And, and and touching so hopefully w- by the end of this we'll talk about how the, how easy it is to get involved and do it now but let's let's transition into why 3d printing and wi-fi i mean they, they seem like they're pretty far apart rob why do you think that the two of those two technologies have turned into having a, a greater relationship than you would a- anticipate
2: well well for me it first started when i went from windows to mac and as anybody who's done a wireless survey, you have Velcro all over the lid of your laptop. I mean, everybody's laptop had, had it littered. You almost had more Velcro on the lid of your laptop than you had metal on the laptop. Um, and I was like, I'm not putting Velcro on my brand new pretty MacBook. And so I have a 3D printer. It's like, why not design something that'll hold the, the, the USB hubs that we were using at the time? And so that was the first thing they got into it. And I was like, wait, We, wireless is, for as much as wireless is used, it's a very small tool community. There's not a whole lot of people that are just making, and when you're out doing surveys and things like that, it's a lot of bespoke stuff you have to make. I mean, how many times, I mean, the whole go grabbing a painter's pole and a cart from Home Depot to do a survey, and then just leaving it there. We've
0: never done that, never. We've
2: never done that. I mean, so yeah, it just, it. But
0: I have to say, I don't normally return them like some people do. (laughs)
2: I I I usually donate them to whoever I was doing the survey for. Exactly. Look, you got a new painter's pole in a cart. Have fun.
0: Enjoy. Uh in fact, I remember I was uh teaching a class in Utah. Uh actually it was with Peter McKenzie who was teaching a CWAP class, and you shipped to my house little brackets and everyone in the everyone (laughs) in the class was like, I want one, I want one. Every so good job.
2: (laughs) It, It was fun. Um but it can go a little too far i printed an entire ap on a stick rig which that's
0: oh i remember that was because you can doesn't
2: mean you should sometimes
0: yeah even with the tripod legs
2: yeah it was a full-on you could pack it in a carry-on and yeah and, and put it, was, it together it was, really it was, it was yeah. interesting
0: and joel how'd you do how do you, you start taking your hobby from 3d printing and move it into your work for wi-fi
1: yeah, um, I that came significantly after Robert was was already doing that for at, at, when Robert was actually making useful things for Wi-Fi. I was still still mostly just kind of in the hobbyist world, uh, using it as a hobby. Uh, but my introduction to it came through the Wlan Pi, which is like a single board computer that at the time had these multiple pieces that you would put together and then take on site with you. And, and uh so I designed a case for all those parts and which kind of consolidated it down to one piece and made it feel like a handheld tool now credit where credit is due the original idea for a case was actually Robert I remember you brought me a case that Robert had had designed and I looked at it and went oh yeah that's that's pretty cool and uh, and then went home and started thinking about it and thought maybe I could maybe I'll spin up an idea around this as well and so I, I did a little bit of a different take on it but basically stole Robert's idea and then, <laughs> It's now iteration. the WLAN Pi. we like to yeah. call it, iteration. It was an iteration, yeah. So thank thank you, Robert, for for the inspiration. But now hardware the WLAN Pi, yes, the hardware evolved. And, and that's something we can talk about is kind of how 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 that works with 3D printing. But that took the WLAN Pi from being all these different pieces that you had to hack and then put together on site to now just being this one little handheld tool that you could just throw in your bag, pull out of your bag as needed.
0: In, in fact, if we back up just a little bit, Robert, didn't you make a, a 3D printed case for the O-Droid that we used even prior?
1: Yep.
2: We, we used, we did the one in uh, Prague. We did the O-Droid case. Um, then you moved over to the small, I think the Neo was the next. Yeah. Uh, Neo's
1: too. Yeah. yeah.
2: We started a case with that one. And then I joined Myst at that point in time. And I was like, good luck. I've, it's a startup. I, I have no free time anymore. And then I think, Joel, you could have... And then you guys got rid of the Neo and went to a board, and it changed. I mean, you got so many adapters. I've ripped open my Pro, by the way, and I'm not supposed to, but it's pretty inside. I like it. Oh, you
1: can. It's fine. But yeah, I mean, at this point, we've been through four iterate, No, five counting yours, six counting yours, iterations of the WLAN Pi case, because there, your, your, there was your Odroid 1, yep. your Neo 2 concept, my Neo 2 production the Pro, and then now Nick Turner's M4 and R4 variants. So yeah, we're up to six separate cases that have been 3D printed now throughout the life cycle of the WLAN Pi project.
0: And your, your term iterative or did you get inspiration? Either, either way works because every one of those that you just listed, Joel, has been improved upon and improved upon and just gets better and better mm-hmm. along the way. And I, yeah. I think that's part of the 3D printing process. So I'm not ai I have a 3D printer and I like using it. I would rather print somebody else's files. Uh, but both of you do design work. And I know you've both just, in fact, <laughs> on the call just a minute ago, Robert showed me a, a piece that he printed out just because he needed a piece. And I, I know, Joel, you've done the same thing for even little projects in your garage. Um, how do you use that, that side of the 3D printing world to help your life? Not, not Wi-Fi related, just other things you need.
1: I have a specific example I can use. Uh, in the first few weeks of COVID, back when we we really didn't know what was happening. And you know, like it was very, very early days. We were at home and there was a part in my toilet tank that broke. The little arm that lifts the chain that lifts the flapper that broke. And at the time, I did not want to go to the hardware store. I, I didn't want to go. So what did I do? I opened up Fusion 360 and 3D printed a little part that would patch it back together and pushed it up. It just did a little push fit things, put it back together. And that part is still in the toilet tank today. And um, and so many, many times 3D printing has saved me that 25 minute trip to Home Depot or a trip to the hardware store or many things like that. I mean, that's just one very, very small example of how I use a 3D printer if I need a special wrench or something like that. I just print one off really quick instead of starting up the car.
2: I was going to say, I also have a funny toilet 3D printing story. I needed a new chain clip. It snapped and I was like, I'm not going to go to the hardware store for this. Give me 15 minutes and I'll pop another one out, out real quick. So, yeah, I don't know why toilet parts are, are the first one. I'm, you know, like, yes. Robert, I'm
1: really glad that you also had a toilet part story because I kind of felt weird telling this. Yeah. It makes me feel a lot better. So thank you. I,
2: I was about to say, you know, if you want to enter it or not enter it, excuse me. If you want like a like a use case, uh, I made a spice rack, a non-toilet one. Um, so I I love I love cooking and keeping your spices organized can be a um, interesting job. So I had a cabinet and I essentially basically made a rack custom rack to that cabinet that fit all my spices in it so it could keep them organized and off the test
0: you just mentioned things that you made sound really simple i just and then you made something i looked into 360 i've taken taken both of your boot camp and your deep dive classes robert and i i don't open up 360. how is there a, uh, we an extra skill set is there well okay <laughs> but i mean a a tool to to do the, the little design. Is that a, a different skill set? Is it more programming based? Is it more artistic? How would you how would you suggest someone get involved in that side of I just want to make a part?
2: Grab a pair of calipers and essentially all like a CAD program is is taking a two-dimensional object and making it 3D. And so I always I know it's silly and basic, but I always say is a fun place to go play around. It is like your cat, by yes. no means once you start understanding design and you want to do champers and fillets and things. It is not the tool for that. But if you just want to take a block and make another block and cut a circle and cut a hole and do the whole peg and round hole thing, you can do that really quickly. And it's uh, like the the spice rack. I took measurements, made squares with cutouts in them, and stacked them and printed them.
0: So what? How many? What was the iterative? What was the iterative process? How many? How many? Of those racks, did you print before it fit your cabinet?
2: Uh, well, so I took a measurement first of the cabinet space. Then I took measurements of the spice bottles. They're square, so and then I basically said, okay, I have this much space divided by this many spice bottles, and then that gave me how many I could fit. And then I had wall space left over at that point in time. So because again, when you have a spice rack, you're going to have to have some kind of a wall around it, some kind of some kind of a container. So you, have, you, you design that way. And that there, there you can do it trial by error. You could say, okay, I'm going to just print 15 of them and see how many fit and then make adjustments from there. Or you can be as prescribed as going down to the, the millimeter.
0: Did the first print work?
2: Uh, yes. Well, very good. But that's because I know how to add spacing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, generally, when I was first starting out, it would take one or two... I would say probably two to three would probably be about my average till i but like, if you get down to it, Joel will tell you right now, if you want to use little rubber foot, so the bottom of it's 13.2 millimeter with a two millimeter inset.
1: Yep. You know it.
2: The same.
0: So exactly. a lot, of, a lot of this is experience that you just kind of yeah, practice yes. and go through it.
2: Yeah. So, so like, there's a lot of things that I'll keep parts that I've built. And I keep them in a fusion 360 file of stuff that I may want to use that again someday. You reference them and reference and pull in. So it's just the more you design, the easier it gets because the more you have to pull from.
0: Well, for those people who aren't into that uh, talk about how other people would get objects. One of the things you did at the deep dive at WLPC was allowed people to just go pick something, a model and then print it right then, right away to get that, that instant gratification. I I wanted something. I now have something.
1: Yeah. There there's basically uh there's one main place that I I look for pre-made models, which is printables.com, which is a uh, a 3D model repository by by Prusa 3D, 3D printer company that Robert and I both are are customers of. Uh, there's also Thingiverse, which is MakerBots. Thingiverse has been around for a long time. So I'll typically check printables first and then uh, and, and then Thingiverse second. And there's some other ones out there like Thangs. It's another one I stumbled on recently. So there's a few different repositories out there for finding finding models that are pre-made. The one thing you have to watch out for, especially on Thingiverse, is there's a lot of unprintable stuff there. Stuff with geometry that just it won't stick to the print bed. It's got crazy overhangs. It's never going to print cleanly. And so that's I tend to prefer printables because the community there seems to mostly be people that actually have a 3D printer and understand the limitations around it. Yeah.
2: Thingiverse, you get more people, it's like, I just did a 3D design and threw it up there and said, Hey, have a good time with it. Um another one you can go to for more functional things. So say you want to build a case or you want to build something around things is a site called GradCAD um where it's just a repository of ad designs. Like you say you wanted to model something for your MacBook, somebody has gone out and actually modeled a MacBook for you so you can model around that. So you don't have to take the time modeling the MacBook for yourself.
1: I'm taking notes here, Robert. What what was the name of that one?
2: It's called GrabCad. Okay. Yeah. It's 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 fantastic for like uh, for instance, I needed a uh, a holder so i have for a rate for my trimmer i wanted some place where it would sit cuz it just came with a plug and so basically i went on there and they had that already designed and i could just make the case around it so that it had something to sit it's then then your then your printing becomes real easy cuz somebody's done the hard work of measuring the the item for you uh,
0: you you both kind of got into this organically if someone was looking to get into it today and we're, we'll put out two questions and we'll answer them sequentially but just so you know where we're, we're headed, where would you go to learn how to do this if you were starting it over again so you don't have to go through that as much effort as you went through when you got started? And then when we're done with that, we'll talk about some uh, hardware and software that you could use today. So the first question up, and Rob, you can a- answer this, is uh, where, how, how would you learn? I mean, you did it yourself. If you wanted to get into this, are there courses, books, videos? How would you go about learning?
2: Uh, there's a lot of youtube has a lot of good stuff there's a lot of bad stuff but there's a lot of good stuff on the on the on the subject i think the biggest thing is to sit down and figure out what you want to do first what is your plan do you want to print functional stuff do you want to learn to design do you want to go that route do you just want to print little statues and gadgets and stuff like that because that's going to kind of determine where you go you just want to run to printables and buy things. There's printers out there that you can just go Control-P and have 90% of a good time nowadays. But if you want to start getting into doing things like engineering materials, like nylons, and polycarbonates, it, it, that's a different world. So you kind of have to understand your budget and kind of where you want to kind of end up at.
0: Well, let's back up just for our audience. You You mentioned a couple of things, and I'm just going to ask you to be a little more definitive about what you meant you were you were mentioning different types of materials and so in 3d printing Mm -hmm. you'll be running with a spool of material and you're saying that material has there's different ones you can use and they have different characteristics you know that so the question was how does someone go about learning all of those things and why would i use nylon versus you know pet g versus
2: you know whatever yeah, at that point, I'd go to YouTube and research. I mean, literally type in 3D printing and just start reading as much as you can because it's a, it's a pretty diverse thing. Um, I don't know, like, again, this is kind of why we taught the class, an intro class to give kind of people a direction to go into. Um, but it's, it's, it's like saying, unfortunately, people sell classes. You can buy like online classes from, uh, I don't know, some of the websites that sell classes. But there are there are three D printing classes out there. Local maker spaces you can go to if you have one. But I just I mean I just I believe in YouTube and research. Just type in three D printer and start going. How about you, Joel?
1: Yeah, some um, just to kind of build on what Robert said. Uh, some specifics that I have like for a materials guide. Three you know, D printing. There's a lot of different materials out there that we could print with. Uh, most of us are sticking with PET G or PLA. PLA is kind of the classic material. Uh, And Robert actually got me started on PETG. I didn't try it until Robert said like, hey, you need to try this material out. If you're wondering like what kind of materials you can print, uh, actually Prusa3D.com, they have a material guide that is like an overview of all the different materials that are available and a big table of what kind of surfaces they can print on, what their characteristics are, how easy they are to print. And so the material guide from from Prusia is a great place to start so you can just go uh just go go to helpprusa 3 dcom that's p r u s a that's just a really good resource another great resource uh, especially in regards to youtube is thomas sandladderer uh if you go to toms3d.org toms3d.org is uh, his website he publishes regular content about all kinds of different 3d printers and uh, I've learned a lot of things uh, from him and seen him test a lot of ideas, test new applications, design tools. He covers the entire thing. So that would be a great place to go start. You spend two or three hours just watching his videos, and uh, and and that should get you on the right track and help you understand what you're getting into.
2: His day job is a mechanical engineer, Keith, so you don't like that. He, oh, that's he good. Basically break, yeah, he, he breaks it down. Uh, another one is, if you're going into that, is like CNC Kitchen is another one. The guy just literally goes through it and they do a more scientific approach to it it's because a lot of the stuff you'll find on youtube is more look at the cool thing i printed or look at the printer company who sponsored me and i printed this cool thing those two guys are are generally more more on the technology not so much
0: well good fluff. those are those are those are nice resources people can get into 3d printing and just go buy a printer But is it possible to uh, also build one? And so this next question, and I know you've both been through both techniques. uh, Do you recommend building over buying or buying first a little one and try it and then build your own later? What's your what's your best ideas there? And we'll we'll start with Joel on this.
1: Yeah, I I strongly recommend building it. Uh, Most uh, most 3D printers out there, a lot of the good ones, my opinion, you can buy as a kit and you can build it. And what I love about that is you will find out exactly how it works as it's going together. Because even the best, most reliable printers out there, you are going to run into some kind of maintenance issue that you have to do, whether it's just lubricating bearings or fixing a jammed nozzle or something like that. There will be something that you have to fix at some point. When you build the printer, then you know exactly how it goes together and how it works.
2: 100%. I don't think that if you're serious about doing it, and you want it to be something more than just something that sits on a shelf in your office. Building your first one is the best way. At least the first one. I, I don't buy I, I buy them built now because I know how they work, so I don't have to. Um, I don't need to go through the joy of building them again.
0: How about a? It, would you would you buy a cheaper one in a kit to learn that, and then buy a better one that's pre built? Just looking for some advice
1: here. I. I personally, um, recommend going for a good printer that you build. That's like, there's the temptation out there I see a lot of people, they come to me and they ask like, Hey, and Robert, you've experienced this exact same thing. People come to me and they say, Hey, which 3d printer should I buy? And I say, this one, this is the 3d printer that you want do not look any further. This okay. is what you want. And they go, okay, I decided to buy the $300 one. And then they have a bad time. Yep. <laughs> they, they struggle through it. Uh, and so yeah, my recommendation is get a get a good one, get a premium one. Don't spend thousands. We're talking hundreds. We're talking, you know, around or below the thousand dollar range, the eight hundred dollar range. My opinion, that's kind of the sweet spot for, especially for a first 3D printer. Uh, but yeah. make sure to get something of really good quality so that you're not, you know, buy it once, buy it right.
2: Is there- I, I do, I do love the I do love the I found this really good deal on Amazon for 150 bucks. Can I get it?
1: Sure, you can get it, but you're you're going to, but when you do that, you're going to spend all your time tinkering with yeah. the 3D printer instead of printing things. So that's how I see it.
0: Well, we have in our Wi-Fi industry, we have a lot of different vendors and they have different um, specialties, we'll say, and different things they're better at than others, and, though they all try to be, you know, everything to everyone's full stack. In the 3D printing world, do you do the same full stack as in you buy your Materials and your nozzles and your printers from the same company. Uh, are there are there different vendors people should be looking at?
2: Some companies try to do that. Uh, as far as from the community standpoint, they're not looked on very kindly, and most people find ways of open sourcing it because the entire idea of three D printing is for it to kind of be an open source community driven thing. Because a lot of the like a lot of the firmware advancements have been done by many different people. So yeah, you can, there's material. I suggest you find your local materials. If you're on the West coast, I like using matter hackers. If you're on the East coast, used to be printed solid, but they're now owned by Prusa. So that's probably a pretty good thing. And then in Europe and Prusa as well. So, I mean, you have, you find and you go through and you find those different best in breed, basically, for what you're trying to do.
0: Joel, I'm going to ask you the question and you're going to give me the answer. What 3d printer should I buy?
1: Oh, which 3D printer? Okay, I thought we were going to talk about the full stack thing. I, if we weren't doing this over the internet, then I would count to three with Robert, and we would both say it at the exact same time. Uh, but it won't work, so we won't we won't try that. But Robert uh, and I both, I think we both agree at this point that our favorite 3D printer vendor by a long shot is Prusa. They've been around for a long time. You remember my very first printer, my printer bot, uh, was printed on a Prusa Mendel i2, And kind of surviving until today is uh, Prusa just released the Prusa uh, i3 Mark IV. So that platform is still alive today, uh, all these years later, uh, over a decade later, uh, 12 years later, actually, now that I think of it. So what I like about Prusa is they're 100% open source. Uh, like for example, they have an application that you use to turn your 3D model into something that the printer can print. It's called a slicer, and uh, their slicer is called Prusa Slicer. It's 100% open source, and they also support other vendors' printers. So you could go out and buy you could go out and buy another vendor's printer and use it with Prusa Slicer. Uh, They're also a very community-minded company. Uh, Like, for example, during COVID, they they designed and 3D printed face shields for healthcare workers when we weren't sure what the demand was going to look like for healthcare equipment. And uh, they're just very, very involved in the community and and very open source-minded. And they just make excellent stuff that just works. Like my first Prush that I bought was a Mark II that I bought used off of a friend. And that was the moment where 3D printing transformed from a hobby where I work on a printer to a hobby where I 3D print things. That was the deflection point. And it really opened up the possibilities for me. That's when the I got involved with the WLAN Pi thing. And I don't think I could have done that without the reliability of Prusa. So if you want something low cost, I, I'm, uh, my, my recommendation is the Prusa Mini. I just finished a print on mine a few moments ago. It sits next to my computer here on my desk, and I love it. And then for my, my bigger projects like printing WLAN pie cases and production work, I have a pair of Prusa Mark three S pluses. Uh, but obviously the Prusa Mark four is now the new, the new King in the, in that area. So either one of those uh, gets a big thumbs up from me and Robert, anything to add there.
2: If you want something bigger, uh, get the Prusa XL. Um, no, um, Interestingly enough, as you'll go start researching, especially today, there's a lot of talk and a lot of new printer companies. Like you've got guys from DPI now making printers, you've got Anchor now making printers. And they're all fabulous things, but I go back to when you go back to a Prusa, you want a printer, it's a plotter. It is literally a three-dimensional plotter. It goes an X and a Y and a Z. A Prusa does that really, really, really well. Really easy to use. It's not the prettiest, it's not the most fancy looking machine but it is just reliable. Like the one that's sitting behind me, if we end up showing the video of this, this started its life as a Mark II. It's now a Mark III S. It has been upgraded and moved and changed. It will soon be a Mark IV. Um, and that's the thing is the printer, you get a printer for life. And well, I won't say life, That's that won't put that on him, but um, you have a printer for a long period of time. It's it's an investment and it's something to build on. It's not a fad. So. I, I mean, I'm with Joel on that. Bruce is where I would go if you want a reliable printer.
1: There, there might yeah. be others out there. I, frankly, I have not taken the time to yeah. investigate because uh, the Bamboo Labs X1 Carbon is the new. I don't know. Seems like the hot, the hot new thing on the block yeah. here. Like I've, I've seen that a lot lately. It looks like it prints very fast. But at this point, I'm right now. I don't see enough reason to break my tool chain and and break all you know uh, the the processes and things that i have so i'm still continuing to recommend the prusa and so far every single person i've recommended one to has loved it so it's it's gone really
0: those that's a very strong recommendation you mentioned between the two of you a mini a three four and the XL. what's the what's the difference between that size wise and why would you use one over another
2: pretty biking so essentially, um, it's how big of an area can you print? So the mini, I think, is 150 by 150 by 150 millimeters. You're going to get into 3D printing. Uh, I hope you enjoy the metric system, because everything is done in the metric system. It's beautiful. Describe um, that in
0: something. Is it the size of a softball, uh, American football, a soccer ball? How big of a thing can you print?
2: Like a little you salad could, plate? Yeah, you could, you could probably, that's probably two or three baseballs, Okay, I guess.
1: Uh, easily um, a big coffee mug if you were going to 3d print a coffee mug which you wouldn't but actually easily a, a i can do
2: this mug. i have this actually it's four and a half inches by four and a half inches by four and a half inches ish nice okay good um good. then you go to the mark three mark four that is a i think it's 255 by 255 by 255 millimeters which breaks into like nine inches in each dimension and then when you go into the xl you go by it's a 12 by 12 by 12 inches so it's 300 by 300 by 300 um it might be a little bigger than that but it it's, it's pretty volume um the technology changes a little with each iteration as well but the same for the most part they they relatively use the same technology Great.
1: yeah and on the mini i would say that the the quality is about i would say 85 to 90 percent as good as the mark 3s and i'm sure mark 4 and uh and, and other platforms Primarily because of just how it pushes filament into the print nozzle, they had to make some concessions to keep it small, lightweight, and keep the, the part count down. Uh, so the print quality is almost as good. Um, but I'm actually about to downsize. I'm about to move to a smaller place, and I'm at, and uh, and I'm kind of spinning down the production of of. Uh, you know, I'm not doing W. Pi cases or anything right now. So the Mark III Ss are actually about to go. I'm going to keep the Mini, and I'm going to be very, ha- very happy to keep that as my hobby printer. So it's almost as good as a Mark III S, and it's definitely good enough for me to be my only printer.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. The cool thing about it being open source is you have the ability to upgrade that if you want. So, like, you have companies out there that make parts to help minimize that. And I've also done that to my Mini as well. So
1: I've actually yeah, changed. Me too. It <laughs> So, but it, you can, it, it can it can just print out of the box though and i was yeah. very happy with it out of the box but yeah there are some nice little upgrades if you do want to tinker and if you do want to make some small improvements you can you totally can
0: well i totally appreciate both of your time in helping us learn a little bit more about 3d printing uh robert if someone wanted to track you down and where would they find you and and do you have a a repository of your designs
2: uh i do but i do not make them public anymore because of uh uh, I'm more than welcome to share them with anybody, but I don't put them on printables because of headaches that we have had with licensings and share stuff. So I do help people design stuff all the time, but I, I don't really post post them anymore. But if you're looking for something, I'm glad to help people design. Um, if you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter. That's the usual place that we go. So it's Rob404, or Rob with two B's underscore 404.
0: And Joel, where can we find you?
1: Yeah, if you want to find me on, just on the internet in general, it's going to be Twitter. Um, my my handle on Twitter is potato underscore fi. And if you want to find my uh, my models that you can print, uh, unfortunately, Rob, I, I have run into some issues as well. People selling my stuff on eBay, for example, and that, that was cool. <laughs> uh, you can find all of my models at printables.com forward slash at potato fi, or you can just look for potato fi on printables and you'll find everything that I have posted publicly there.
2: Well, thank you very much.